Today, I speak with Jen McFarland, the founder of Women Conquer Business, and we're going to talk about marketing funnels and all the intricacies that go into them and how they relate to your business. Jen is a course creator, she is a consultant, and she is a business coach with over 25 years worth of experience. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Marketing Journey Podcast, where we help experienced coaches, course creators, and consultants who are motivated to increase their revenue by implementing marketing tips and strategies. Hey, it's Matt Hepburn. I'm a digital marketing professional with 14 years of experience working as a consultant, working agencies both large and small, and for the past eight years in the enterprise sector for some of the biggest brands out there. I provide the latest digital marketing tips for coaches, course creators, and consultants so that they can grow their businesses bottom line across marketing channels. Hey there, Jen. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. And um, I'm really excited to hear about your experience, especially since uh, you are dedicated towards uh, business women and helping them out, So, uh, which is really important. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience and who you are, and then we could transition into the questions if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Sure. Uh, so my name is Jen McFarland. My business is called Women Conquer Business. A lot of people ask if I help men too. I'm like, absolutely. You just have to be cool with the business name. <laughs> like, it really just means that we're all in this in this business jungle together. And the way that I help people, it's a little unique because I not only have 25 years of marketing experience, I also have a master's degree in leadership and management, and I was an executive at the city of Portland, Oregon. So I have a varied background, and I look at things from not only a marketing perspective, but from like a larger business perspective and from a project management perspective. And the way that that looks is I not only do a lot of community work, I help uh, Prosper Portland's Inclusive Business Resource Network. I help a lot of entrepreneurs through there and through Accelerate Women, which is a fund that helps women-owned businesses scale. I also have my own online community and, of course, my own consulting clients that come to me wanting some really targeted marketing strategy Sometimes they just want some coaching or some consulting around, you know, maybe a launch or like a, a three month window. Um, and we just have a lot of fun. We just love doing the work. We love helping people and making courses, making stuff like we were talking before we went live. I mean, I make all kinds of courses. I used to have a live podcast that went, you know, every week that was like marketing how to's. It's the most fun just making things and being a part of a community. No, that's fantastic. <clears throat> and I can actually just tap right into that and we'll just go right into the questions. And, and, um, so part of our audience as as you know, is, is course creators, um, consultants and, and coaches. Yeah. And a lot of times they struggle with trying to figure out who is their audience, right. Um, or their avatar and, you know, what type of course should they create? And so one of your courses is, is about, um, creating courses that resonate with that, that avatar, right? So I'd love to have some information for them as to like how they can tie in not only the audience they want to target, but, and, and the topics they want to choose to create, but how do they make that resonate with that audience? You know, it's a really interesting one because I'm developing that one right now. What I do is I deliver live classes that are about an hour so I really am like diving into like the questions and asking people what they're looking for and then getting a lot of feedback. I think one of the mistakes that a lot of, especially like if you're a consultant and you go into, I'm going to start making courses 
is you're not gathering enough. You don't maybe know enough about your target audience or your avatar or the problems that they have to really address that with a course. And what I mean by that is throughout an engagement, if you're a consultant or a coach, your clients are asking you questions all the time and you're go you're just like answering them because to you, it's easy. <laughs> you know that That's answer, right. you've answered it like a hundred times. And so one of the things that I tell people is, you know, just keep a notepad next to your computer so that when you get those questions, you're writing them down. Because mm -hmm. those are the things that belong in the course. A lot of times as experts, you know, we are like, this is what you have to know. And it's not interesting to our avatar <laughs> because it might be like 17 steps ahead of where they are, or maybe they just don't get it. You know, so the way to understand that you're really speaking to them is asking for customer feedback, asking, you know, asking and paying attention to the questions that people really want to know about. And then you start making courses around that. The other part of that is if you want things that resonate, you also have to have that energy when you're delivering mm -hmm. it. That's that's a big part of it. So for me, you know, I'm really when I my membership is crazy because I love live questions. I love being in it. I'm a I did I have done so much training over the course of my life and experience. It seems like I was always training somebody along the way. I was in the Peace Corps and I was a teacher. So I'm used to like being in front of people and having, you know, God only knows what question coming at me. And so I enjoy it. I feed on that. That is not what every single membership or every single course should look like. Like if you're going to if you're not comfortable with that, you shouldn't do that. For me, it's a lot more difficult to make a course without like the live experience. Like if I have to make that's why all everything is short. They're very my my clients are very busy. <laughs> they don't have time for a 16-hour course that maybe just leads into some other funnel that's really an engagement. Like I need, I need people to be able to take action. Like, why is this important? What are the three things I need to do? And then we get on with our lives. Um, but that's not what it is for everybody. So part of it, when we think about the audience, it's not just the questions that are really important to them. It's like knowing and understanding like how much time they have to consume the content. What, what are the essential things that you want them to do? What are the outcomes that you're really going for? And that's how you really like strike that balance. You know, you mm -hmm. have the topics they care about and the delivery that not only makes you feel comfortable, but helps people grasp a concept and take the action that you want them to take. So that is extremely helpful. And I've got a question that I'm just going <laughs> to add on to that that you made me think of. So um, some of these course creators, um, you know, they may not have had a lot of this live experience. So they're trying to do their research and trying to say, like, well, how do I make sure that things resonate? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm just trying to think of like, is there a way that you sometimes maybe do quizzes online or something and send paid traffic to it to get uh, a better understanding as to what people's pain points are and their fears? Um, or is there research that you go out and just say, well, what are the top you know, authors or experts actually say on this? And like, what, are, what do we see as the fears or the pain points across these and, and bring it all together, so. I mean, certainly you want to do like some of that market research and you can you can do all of the things that you just mentioned, um, you know, polling people. A lot of times when I when I poll people on LinkedIn, like I don't get like all the responses that I want, you know, mm -hmm. or if I do a poll, um, you know, so it's 
you really like that's what I mean. Like I kind of do mine organically, but if you don't have a lot of people, you don't have an audience, you haven't you don't have a big bank of client work or experience, then then it might be something that you need to like beta test. You know, mm -hmm. you're gonna bring people in and you're gonna do it's almost like a like a focus group where it's like, I'm gonna do this for you, it's not gonna be very expensive. Um and and in you know, you're gonna but you're gonna get a lot of value out of it. And in exchange, you're gonna give me a lot of feedback about did I answer the questions that you have? Did I not? You know, and one of the things that we do in our group is after every single course, you know, we have a questionnaire, very basic, where it's not tons of questions and it's totally anonymous so that we get an idea of, you know, have we have we hit the right points? Is it really hitting like what it is that people want and asking what they would have rather had? And then we can incorporate that into a later course. So you kind of want, you always want to have those feedback loops and you're right, you need to gather as much information as you can so that you can be more predictive about the outcome of whatever you're creating. Because these things take time and it's it's expensive, you know, to do it. So you might as well yeah. get the maximum value out of it, um, not only for your students or your clients, but also for yourself. So when you're creating these courses, let's say you, you have created one, right? Um, and you want to create supplementary content, uh, whether it's blog posts or social posts to help promote this, but to tie into the messaging of what the, the, the core currency messaging of that course is and those pain points and things that we just talked about. What is your process usually for doing that? Yeah, you know, um, it, we do, I have a very active blog. I really like to write. And Great. so one of the one of the big things that we do is we try to I write something that's in support of the article or of the content, mm -hmm. you know, the content is in support of the course and vice versa. Um, for example, you know, now we've got a bigger body of work. We have like several, several courses about social media. And I just last week I wrote a blog post that was all about social media for service based businesses. And it was like you know, if you have a question about this, here's a course. And if you have a question about this, you know, here's a course. And it kind of, yeah. just, you know, it, it's kind of a guidance. But at the same time, you can read that article without taking any of the classes and still get right. a lot of value out of it. I think that that's the main thing is like, you can't just use your, you can use your blog as a feeder for it. But now there are so many touch points now before people are ready to buy that like you have to, you can't just make something that's just a leader <laughs> without any value. You have to create something that people are willing to read and and get something out of that also is like, oh, by the way, if you want to go deeper on, you know, writing headlines for your social posts or writing calls to action or, you know, creating a social media plan, here's here's where you can go for those particular things. So that was the example from last week that we did. So I'm going to go right into CTAs because uh, you're talking about that. And I think you may have just partially answered this question, but you know, one of your courses is on psychology-based CTAs. And I guess it's basically how do you tie in your calls to action with your content in a way where it's the person may be already thinking about the problem that... Um, so if your blog point content is actually talking about the problem and saying, here's where you can go to actually you know, learn more about this. Is is that kind of what you were talking about with psychology-based CTAs? It, it's a little bit, yeah. I mean, there are different types. You know, one of one of my favorite people about calls to action is Kate Bradley Chernis. She owns Lately.ai. It's a, a social media scheduler. 
that is not using like ChatGPT. They've been around for a lot longer. They actually create a writing model based on your writing and it's 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 protected by copyright and everything and she talks a lot about calls to action on social and in other places and she's always like don't be lazy about your calls to action and i totally agree with that um, one of the worst things you can say for example is um check it out I'm like what am i supposed to check out what's what's in it for me and or I learn more right yeah or learn more yeah um you know you want to have something that's like you want to be as descriptive as you can because you want people to understand what's in it for them if they click on that link. Um, right. And then there are some much more um, advanced psychological. I th I think that one of the things I talked about, you know, there's certainly like you know anchoring bias, and there are certain psychological triggers, <laughs> which is why when you go to say buy app software and they're like best value you know they're anchoring it so that like this this piece of software at this level like you know the gold level is the best value and that's the first thing that you see and then you look at anything that's cheaper and you might be like well but i'm not getting that you know and they're yeah. trying to encourage you to buy something more expensive right um you know there's all different types of biases that we have as consumers that then you can take advantage of um that really help people um, entice people to click, they entice people to go further with you in the process. One of the biggest things that's a call to action if you have a blog or a course is you want to have a name. <laughs> you want to have a headline that you get past, you know, that first pass. You want people to be curious. And a lot of times we just name things, you know, and they don't, they don't make any sense to people um, because by the time you go and you create a bunch of content, whether it's a podcast or a blog or anything, you get to the end, you're like, oh, now I have to name it, like, you know, because mm -hmm. you put yeah. all this effort in. Um, but really, the headline and the call to action are like two of the most important pieces because that's usually how you know 80% of people read the headline and move on. Like, you definitely want to be excited, exciting enough that they're going to continue with you. Right, right, right. So my next question is going to be how do landing pages and I want to tie that because if we just talked about calls to action right so um it seems like the evolution would be landing pages so how do landing pages um how are they a part of your uh marketing funnel a part of mine personally uh, marketing funnel or or or, or how or or anybody's yeah <laughs> okay. it could be yeah so, could be either. um you know it's interesting because a lot of times people are like oh I, you know I need a you know Russell Brunson kind of kind of um, trained everybody to think that they need a sales funnel out of the gate or a marketing funnel. Um, I usually tell people like, yes, you need that. And it doesn't have to be super fancy in the beginning until you have enough sales that you know what it should really look like. Um, mm -hmm. Landing pages are super helpful because it's a distraction-free zone. <laughs> like I love them for that reason. People go there, um, they know exactly what they're supposed to do. Now, that should be the case on a website. Um, oftentimes it's not. Uh, people don't understand that like a confused mind, they don't buy. So the beauty of a landing page is it has one purpose. Um, and you can go there and like you're going to learn every single thing that you can <laughs> about a particular product or a particular offer. And then you move on, you know, into the next phase of it. You know, if you get you know, and it just depends on what you're building and, and what it is that you're trying to get people to do. Um, but landing pages are really great because 
you can like send people to that page. They don't they don't get that like squirrel. What am I looking at now? Like they don't they can't mm -hmm. really bounce anywhere. Um, and that's what that's what the beauty is of it. Um, is that you're like putting them in like a little pen and saying, hey, this is the most important thing that I want you to see right now. And it can be very successful if you have written it in a way that's compelling for your for your ideal audience. You have calls to action that people are like, oh, no, I definitely need I definitely need this or I definitely want to investigate it more or, you know, talk to somebody about it. And that's how landing pages can really help you. Um, and when you have a landing page and you're not getting the conversions that you want, meaning people aren't buying or they're not, they're not doing anything because it's a landing page and it's so, supposed to do one thing. You're getting some good evidence that like, maybe I'm missing the mark. <laughs> Sometimes right. on a website, it's really hard because there are so many places where people can go. You don't always know like w w what it is that's taking people away. I mean, you can use hot jar clarity, like all these things and look at it, you know, and see like how people are taking action on your website. Um, but with a landing page, it's a lot easier <laughs> to kind of go, oh, okay. Yeah, they don't, <laughs> they're not getting it. <laughs> you know, they're stopping right. here and they're going away. Um, you know, and so one of the things that you can do getting into the next question that I know you're gonna ask me, mm -hmm. one of the other things that are great about landing pages is you can do A-B testing. That means mm -hmm. that you can send some of your traffic to a page that's written one way and you can send some of your traffic to a page that's written another way. And this is especially effective if you say run ads and you can like drive traffic to two different places. And then after a certain time, certain period of time, you can be like, okay, well, people bought this one and <laughs> they didn't buy this one. Yeah. Um, and then you can just shift to the one that's more successful and like move all of your attention and traffic and social to the one um, that people are responding to. Um, that's the great thing about landing pages and technology is that oftentimes it's this like some, some software will do the AB testing for you and just change the headline on the fly. Um, others, you just duplicate the page and like make some tweaks and do it that way. Um, right. and then you need some sort of test, like where you're sending different folks to different places. So, um, it's, it's pretty cool. It's a really good tactic, um, because we don't always know. Like it's, people don't understand that marketing is largely a test. Like we say like, this is what we're going to do, but then you have to actually try it out and see right. what's working and what's not. And then once we know, then we can make some more informed decisions. It's, it's not like always, I mean, it'd be great if every time we just hit it out of the park the first time, <laughs> but that's not always how it works. Nope, Sometimes it's, it's we have definitely to definitely not. Yeah, it takes some time. You know, we're running some ads right now for a couple of courses. And, you know, we started running the ads just to kind of warm them up. And I went on vacation and we've been, you know, we've been looking at it and we're like, oh, okay, I need to add some videos. That's what's really going to help this. They're not mm -hmm. getting me, you know, and I think that would be helpful. You know, we're, or, you know, we're going to probably do some A-B tests where we create like a couple of different iterations of how we describe things just to see uh, what people respond to more. Right, right. And I know social proof and things like that sometimes are are really good things to add as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we already have the social proof, but like, you know, if it's going to be an on, like, for example, like an online membership, I'm like, you got to know who you're, who you're talking to all the time, you know? Right. Like, so that's going to help. And, you know, but we were just kind of like testing it out. Like, so here's what we have now. Like, how, how does, how do people respond to this? And we're like, okay, 
that's not what we wanted. <laughs> you know, we're getting some results, but not at the highly optimized level. Right. So then we go back right. and do it. You know, it's the same thing with clients. You know, you want to look, how are people responding? Okay, how how can we make a couple of changes so we can kind of track it too? That's the thing. You want to mm -hmm. be able to track like what it is that makes the biggest impact. And you're right. Sometimes it can just be, it can be as simple as social proof. You know, adding a couple of other pieces to it. Maybe you have quotes, but no pictures. You know, people can't go, can't see the faces. Um, right. There, there are so many things that can that can trigger a conversion um, or drive people away. Right. H having them see you more as a as a human rather than this just course. Right. So sometimes, mm -hmm. like pictures of you and family or or things. Um, you know, I've seen that used as well. Yeah, for sure. I was, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about topical relevance on landing pages and how that affects uh, cost per click, you know, uh, based upon like the keywords that you're targeting, like what what normally strategies have you you used to, to be able to get better uh, cost per click uh, in on your landing pages and your ads? You know, it's a it's a constant. <laughs> you have to like look at the ads and see how they're performing and it's a constant yeah. thing you know in in my industry when we're talking about my on my own ads that we're running you know marketing is so competitive you know that we're we're trying to find soft spots that are really attractive to women um and that are not as expensive cost per click right in other industries the cost per click is relatively low so you can run like a ton of keywords and kind of be like okay what are, you know, what are people responding to? In my own industry, it's a little more limited because I don't really want to pay like $60 a click. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for for, for so sure. It, it just, it kind of changes. So, um, but I have clients where um, they're consultants in certain areas. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, they can, you know, you can kill it with just a couple of pay-per-click ads and really speaking to your audience. It goes back to that first um question, which is, you know, the more you know your avatar, the more you know the pain points of your audience, the more you should be able to drill into effective keywords that are related mm -hmm. to whatever it is on your landing page that will convert better. Um, but again, it does take a little time to get into that, you know, um, and we're like in my own business, we're, we're drilling into it to find like, um, when we first started running ads, for example, we were getting a lot of people who were men uh 24 to 30 and i was like that's not really my target right. audience you know and so then we did some things behind the scenes um you know to just winnow down you know so we're getting fewer clicks but they're higher quality clicks you know that's right so there's more relevant more relevant yeah. um and then now we're looking at the copy and we're like okay well how can we how can we make some adjustments here so you never know you have to kind of spend some time on it and then that's how you decrease you know that the paid the paid cost per click. The other thing too is like the quality of the clicks. So it was like we were getting more clicks, maybe they cost less, but they weren't effective because they weren't ultimately gonna join the membership. They're not the target, they're not the target, you know? And it turned yeah. out that when we set the ads before vacation, <laughs> we missed a checkbox or two, <laughs> you uh, know? So then we had yep. to, and that's why you have to go back and like look at it, you know? And, yeah, um, this is not a set it and forget it type of thing. No. and. So for the audience, what we're really talking about here when we're talking about landing pages is the examples we've talked about right now have been all on paid traffic. So typically what that means is there would be no link to another page except for to the call to action that we'd want them to do. 
but I'm going to give you an example of what I've done in the past with some of my lawyer clients mm-hmm. uh, when I was consulting and uh, they did not want to have separate landing pages for paid. So they wanted to have the same page for organic and for uh, paid. So it does make it a little confusing when you're looking at your analytics as to the traffic that's coming there. But I'm going to give uh, one example in case you wanted to do this. Uh, with one client, we had um, we were adding 40 pages of copy to their site, and it was all on employment law. So each page was was relevant, was all linked together, and we dropped 40 pages there. And our cost per uh, basically the quality score of our ads went from a three or a four, which is really low. You get a one to ten range, mm-hmm. up to to uh, around seven to nine because the content was highly relevant and was all internally linked and Google loved it. So it's another way that you can go if you wanna say, I don't wanna have separate landing pages for just paid, I'm gonna use, I'm gonna have highly relevant content. Uh, It just gets a little bit confusing in analytics, so. Well, but it can also be really great. Like were they blog posts? Like running no, they were they were they were they were dedicated pages. So dedicated pages um, to employment law, like forty of them. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, uh, and like the, we can run. We're we're looking at running a few ads on because you can do this too. So if you have like a blog post that's like central to your expertise and it links mm-hmm. out to everything, you can also run ads um, or organic even yeah. and send people to a blog post and it can perform really well and help drive traffic and get people into the funnel you know it's all about what you link to and 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 how how it showcases your expertise and how relevant it is you know that's that's a big part of it i was hoping you might be able to talk to just cost per click so they can under have a better understanding of what we were just kind of talking about so like what is cost per click and why with a quality score like what does it mean if you get a higher quality score and versus your cost per click and overall of the cost of ads Okay. Um, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> if you want me to hop in there, I'll do it. So. Yeah, you can hop in there on some of this stuff. So, okay. Um, you know, Google and, you know, and this is certainly the case on, you know, Facebook and Instagram, they're always gauging like how relevant things are. Like, are people really going to click on this? Is this really something that is mm-hmm. related to what you said it was? Is it really, you know, can I crawl this? Is it going anywhere else? Like, they're making all kinds of evaluations. Um, based on all of their updates to the algorithm. So it could be the helpful content update, or it could be, you know, and that may or may not be affecting your ads. Um, so it's looking at that and it's giving you different quality ratings based on, I mean, it could be anything like images, yeah. headlines, everything. And it and it assesses a score. And then I, I believe that score affects like how many people they send, <laughs> what types of people they send. Um, and that can affect how much you're paying just for somebody to even click on the ad. Um, And it all ties together in a way that, you know, really what you want is the highest quality traffic that doesn't cost as much. And so what you're really shooting for is highly relevant, highly optimized and highly useful, highly useful in the eyes of Google (laughs) or Facebook or Meta, whoever, um, because then you won't pay as much. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you and you hit it right on the dime. So that's that's it. You know? So if you can increase your quality score by optimizing the content based upon what their requirements are, little tweaks, um, you're going to pay less for your traffic. So that is 
ultimately, if you have a limited budget uh, to spend on a monthly basis, um, this is behooves you to do this. And that's also what split testing will help you get a better conversion, right? So it's about better conversion, less cost, um, the, the best optimized uh, campaign for you. So you hit it right there on the head. So that's great. I want to make sure I was hitting it like for the audience, you know? Oh, no, ab absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you want people to understand that's one of the things that I really, really work hard on is making all of these types of things accessible to people so that they understand, yeah. you know, we talk about things like AB testing, which is the same as split testing. We talk about cost per click and then people are like, I don't know what that even means. And it's like, right. Well, you want it right. to be low and they're like well that's nice but like <laughs> what does that mean well, well what to be low right uh, exactly so we just yeah. want them to, to come away with understanding is to basically say you want to pay less for your your advertising you want people to convert more so you can get more people into your courses or to your offers so um absolutely but part of this whole thing of what we're getting them to opt into something right means that you are doing another channel of marketing called email marketing mm -hmm. um when you're when you're actually having people sign up for something so um i was hoping you could talk a little bit about your email offers and nurture sequences and and how you're able to craft a compelling message because that is an art all into itself of you know people keeping people engaged in your emails especially if you're sending out several emails on a, on a weekly or a monthly basis so. you know for my industry i send out fewer emails. Um, I have a lot of colleagues who send out emails every day. Um, you know, my people are too busy for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think I would lose a lot of folks if I did that, yeah. even though I'm in marketing and it's very common. Um, what I have been really working on personally, because I love to write and I don't generate AI and just shove that out to people. I want mm -hmm. to have hands on it is I send out high quality newsletters that keep people engaged and give people tips that people then stay on the list for a really long time. Um, and that can be a very helpful thing if you're, you know, if you're anchoring in your expertise and your knowledge and then filling the rest in with nurture sequence, welcome series, um, all types of things that that keep people engaged. So when we talk about a welcome series, that could be the most powerful thing that you ever do. So somebody goes through your marketing funnel, they get added to your email list. So like, let's do an example from, um, you know, like a blog post and you're like, subscribe and, you know, and get this free download, for example. Mm -hmm. When your subscriber is the most hot, meaning they're most likely to buy, is right at that moment. <laughs> so... Where a lot of people miss is they don't have a thing that says, hey, here's your download. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself over the next week or two. Um, and then at the end of the welcome series, you give them an offer that is juicy and enticing and, you know, you want them to take action on. Yeah. Um, you can do it quicker. <laughs> you can have a couple different offers in there. Uh, but the key is to really be like, I'm so glad you're here let me tell you about what you can expect while you are here, you know, and then you yeah. kind of have them. And then if you back that up with what you've said you were going to do, then it can be really helpful. Um, a nurture sequence is kind of how you're monitoring, like, are they opening it? <laughs> like, or what are they getting out of <laughs> yeah. it? And then you have, it's more complexity, but you have like ways of like keeping people engaged. Um, for the longest time, I've just used it with high quality writing. 
because I don't always have the time or the staffing. Um, and because the writing is so important to what I do, you know, I want to review everything because it, it has to sound on brand. Like that's the main thing for yep. me, the, any piece of writing. And I think it should be for anybody as well. That's one of the um, issues I have with AI, you know, and, and why I talked about lately earlier is because lately is based on what you actually make. <laughs> Whereas yeah. chat GPT is based on, you know, what other people have done and it may or may not sound like you and it may or may not bring in your audience. So, you know, you have to be careful with all of that. I think there are a lot of folks who don't run a welcome series and then there are even more people who don't run nurture sequence. You know, how are we doing? What is it that you want to have? What, you know, you haven't opened anything for a while, you know, where, you know, how are we hitting the mark? And it's because I think a lot of people, they just assume that their things are going great or they're afraid to know if it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and and the real magic is in asking for feedback so that you can make change. Um, so we talked about earlier on also about questions about getting feedback. So this sounds like a, a, a great place in your nurture sequences to get some of that as well. Yeah. What are the biggest questions that you have about, you know, about your topic, you know, about your expertise, you know, so that could be, you know, I help a lot of nonprofit consultants, you know, they go in and they do fundraising for nonprofits. So what are your biggest burning questions about marketing your consultancy? Mm -hmm. That could be a question that I would ask, you know, and, you know, and then the responses I get might inform courses I make, future emails that I send out, it could be anything, you know, yeah. and, but what that is, is it's like, oh, I haven't talked about that at all, <laughs> you know, like what, you know, or you could be like, oh, I've talked about that a few different ways. And you may even respond to them and say, you know, well, can you be a little bit more specific? You know, every email I send out, I'm like, tell me how you're doing. I'll actually answer you, you know, and I always ask and, and I always answer like, um, because it lets people know that you're not just there to like sell to them. You're not just there, even if you are, <laughs> you know, that you're, that you're, you're actually caring about them as a person and people like that. People want to hear, um, you know, that you, that you care. So I think that that's part of it is, you know, you're, you're doing it to show like good faith and, you know, I've had people who've stayed on my list for years years and years um and others have have stayed on and they've bought lots of times <laughs> you know because they know they can trust me so right. um that's kind of how you build like that community and that camaraderie among the people who are email subscribers and potential clients and current clients yeah you mentioned a, a word that we don't hear a lot but community um because we usually hear community and kind of with course creators like the community inside of the course, but we're talking about a community here in a, in an email nurture sequence, which is a little bit different, right? So they haven't necessarily purchased yet, but they are revolving around you and you're doing what I like to call relationship building mm -hmm. with your email list, right? They're getting to know you. Um, you're getting to understand their pain points. And I love the fact that you brought up that um, it's one way for you to say, hey, well, I haven't really created an asset around this so much, or I created it in this way or that way. I'm getting a lot more engagement on this. Maybe I need to create something yeah. on this. Yeah. And to that point, I'm going to ask you, like, what is your, um, uh, how do you actually tie into creating lead magnets and how do you actually use them? And how should course creators consider using them with 
with landing pages and, and email nurture and things like that or social. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because when we, you know, I mean, I think most people subscribe just through like they go to the course site and they're mm -hmm. like, oh, I just, you know, they go to the, they go to the footer because, you know, I tell everybody you want to have a, just a basic opt in in the footer. You know, mm -hmm. and they go in there and they subscribe and then they're just like kind of testing it out and seeing what's going on. Um, that is not my ideal, <laughs> you know, like I want to, I want to know like, oh, I'm most interested in, you know, your, your free Google business profile course or something, yeah. you know, like I want them to do a certain thing. Um, and I, I, I think that because I focus so much on writing, I tend to get people who just want more of that, you know? Um, and that's why we started running some paid ads because I'm like, well, I want people who are interested in courses, you know? Um, and so it's like, it's a constant thing that you look at. Now, I will say that one of the reasons we have so many courses, it's like, of course your readers maybe want something that isn't your favorite thing. <laughs> so whenever I write about social media, I get, I mean, the open rate is, is off the hook, you know? And so we've done a lot of classes around social media, uh, even though in my marketing model that I work with, that I work with on clients, I mean, it's, um, social media isn't like the centerpiece of mm -hmm. how I help people with marketing. Um, it's important. It's not the most important thing, especially with the organic traffic numbers. They've just gone through the floor. Um, but everybody wants hot tips on that. So then yeah. I'm like, okay, well, that must be like a burning question people want to know about. So I've made a lot of courses around that, you know, and then when I send that to my list around like, oh, we have this upcoming thing about social media. I mean, we get people, you know, cause everybody's, they want that demystified um, for themselves and to, and to work on it. So sometimes you get that feedback and you're like, oh gosh, this isn't what I really want to do. <laughs> yeah. But but then if you follow through on it, I mean, that's where the gold is. And that's the advantage of, you know, paying attention to your stats and your analytics. You know, if you know that everybody's reading the blog posts about a certain topic or everybody's, you know, opening the emails about a certain topic, these are context clues around um, lead magnets that you can make. You know, you can take a blog post. I had, I have blog, I have lead magnets that are based on old podcast episodes. People don't know they're a podcast episode, <laughs> but they want to know like how to set up effective goals for their business. You know, it's like, well, you can right. listen to it for free or, <laughs> you know, here it yeah. is in a nice, concise ebook because they don't consume everything that you make. I mean, that's, that, that's for sure. So, that's for sure. you know, look at the things that are hot, like in your email nurture sequence, things like that. If it's a topic that you really want to speak to, I mean, maybe the social media one isn't the best one because like it's not necessarily like the thing I love the most, but it is something that's important to my community. And if I teach people how to use it as part of, say, a marketing mix, which is more of what I do and not like the only thing, because that's what a lot of people do is they put all their eggs in the social media basket. So I'm teaching people to like not do that. Um, then I'm still getting the message out and I'm still answering their questions, um, perhaps in a different way. Um, mm -hmm. and that's, that's important as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I create lead magnets based on if I, if I get, if I create a class and people really lean into it, then I'm like, okay, well I can make, you know, a masterclass about this, or I can make a lead magnet about this, you know, lead magnets don't have to be like PDFs. You can make master classes and offer them through your website, um, you know, pre-recorded webinar style or, you know, however you want to do it. 
um, you can do all kinds of lead magnets of different types. It's just like, what is it that is easy for you to make that doesn't stress you out? <laughs> That's really in interesting to your audience. No, I, I, I do love that. And the reason why I love that is that many people are just talking about lead magnets that are PDFs that you can download. So the, um, and the reason why I love what you just said is that we're talking about engagement before and them getting to know you. Mm -hmm. Right. So what better way to know you than to have video where they're learning from you? And I would probably think that um, the video probably gets more engagement and more use than a PDF that might get downloaded and just put saved on somebody's hard drive and not necessarily opened or read. I mean, how many do you have? I, yeah. For how over years. How many do you have that you've never gone back to again? I, mm -hmm. I, I probably have hundreds that I've never... You yeah, know, but if I can get someone, if I'm trying to sell, so here's the other thing: if I'm trying to sell courses, I, I have hundred dollar courses that I've bought that I've never opened. <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> so, but if I'm trying to sell courses, why would my lead magnet right. be something where you don't even know who I am? Like, it's it's just, wonderful. It's a great like, idea. Like, so it's a great you really idea. Have to tie the pieces together. You know, I like to have p. I have some PDFs because, again, I've said it a few times. Like, I just love to write. Like, so I have a lot of writing out there that I've made into like checklists and things that are super useful. Um, but you have to think about what it is you're really trying to, you know, sell. Like if you're selling coaching, people want to know how you coach. You know, if you're selling courses, the people want to know how you teach. So you have to think about having lead magnets and ways that you're attracting people that are aligned with what it is you ultimately want them to do. So I would just encourage you to think broadly about your lead magnets. Um, you know, and that said, I've had a couple of pins on Pinterest go semi-viral and gotten just like hundreds of email subscribers for a PDF. I mean, that, that happens right. too. Um, but there's a third way that was that that's a hybrid of what we just talked about, which is doing the video that you're talking about and then having the PDF as supplemental that they can download oh, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean, you can, that that's like the best of both worlds, right? You get them both, both yeah. ways. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and you can even link to the video from inside the PDF. Guess what? Like, right. you know, so they can still remember like who you are and what you do. So, I mean, these, these things are really important. So like be creative. I know that there are a lot of people out there who um, teach lead magnets as one thing in one way, but if you look around, you'll see that a lot of people aren't doing PDFs anymore. Like yeah, um, the people who say do that, they're probably trying to sell you their lead magnet program, <laughs> like, or, you know, or they yeah. want to help you make a PDF. But like, um, anymore, you know, people, people want something more useful. You know, would they, the old saying is that like an, an email is worth like $5 to somebody, like mm -hmm. they'll give it to you if, if they think the value is $5. I actually think it's much higher than that now. You know, the number of touch points before somebody buys has gone up like astronomically, um, mm -hmm. in the seven years that I've been in business. Um, and it's just, it's, you know, and I think with that, like we all get too many emails. So we kind of hold on to them a little tighter now because we don't want to get bombed with a bunch of emails all the time because we're already really busy. So really think about the value that you're adding for people. Um, and if it's aligned with what it is that you want them to do, especially if you have something high ticket. So I'm going to just comment on, uh, ask you a question based on what you just said. So could you talk to the audience a little bit about touch points and like what different channels that might mean? So maybe they, so we can explain to them what touch points, what might mean from different channels to actually for conversion. Yeah. So, 
touch points are like how many like so how many times have I come into contact with a person and this could be in person this could be on social media this could be from their email this could be from doing something like a podcast interview you know and then right. and then maybe you follow somebody and you you know check them out and you look at what they're what they're sharing and and how you resonate with that um it can take it can take years of people checking you out you know right. I mean, everybody has a cell phone Everybody that like 95% of people are checking you out before they buy. They're looking for social proof. They're looking at reviews. They want to know how you talk, how you help people, what it is that you're all about. And so your job is to give people as many opportunities as you can. That's right. Um, to meet you, to get to know you, um, you know, and it should all be aligned. And the way that the touch points work best is if you meet me, and then, and then you go to my website, it says the same thing. And then if you go to my blog post, it's very aligned and it says the same thing, you know, or the same tone. Um, if I ask for help on social media, it's again, like aligned with all the things I've ever seen and the same tone. That's why we have to be so careful about who helps us with some of our marketing and touch points right. because they all have to make sense um, because we don't know at what point somebody's going to make that decision um, to buy. Like this is all part of a lot of people talk about the customer journey. Like it That's takes right. a long time to go from somebody being aware of you, meaning like, so say you're listening to this podcast, watching this podcast and you're like, I didn't even know Jen McFarland existed. Well, yeah. So now you're becoming aware of me and you're making a judgment one way or the other about whether you want to continue to follow me or get to know me. And you kind of go through these different levels all the way down to the bottom of the funnel, the really skinny part, which is like you're you're going into the buying the conversion place. And then if you have a really great experience, you become an advocate in a lot of ways and you're sending people, you know, to somebody. And that's the most valuable piece of the funnel. Actually, everybody focuses on the conversion and that's important because that's where you get the money. Um, but the ongoing word of mouth advocate business, I mean, they're like, they're like pre-sold before they even meet you. <laughs> yeah. Now that there's not so, much mention about that. So, so normally with a buyer's journey, it's uh, early awareness, right? It's, yep. consi it's consideration to buy. It's the purchase process. Purchase. And then it is the follow-up afterwards. But usually with somebody at that point when it might have a, why did I buy this? You know, buyer's remorse. And they're going back to the site to see all the customer care stuff to go, oh yes, this is why I bought. And here are the case studies, right? But yeah. very rarely do I ever hear about anybody talking about customer advocacy uh, based upon uh, your experience, your good experience of what you had, and you're actually helping making other people convert, you know? So yeah. that's, they're basically putting people into the beginning of the funnel, pre-selling them pre-selling them. And, and that's why, like, you know, we've been talking about different things. One of the things that's like super powerful that people are talking about a lot is UG, UGC or user generated content. And right. that to me in a service-based business, user generated content is that advocacy piece. It's somebody who goes out and says, you know, Hey, I, I worked with, with Matt Hepburn. He was so great. He did this, that, and the other thing for me. I think that you should follow him on social media or talk to him if you have this problem. Like, like, think about how amazing that would be. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that'd be fantastic. Over and over and over again, right? Yeah. And and that is like that's that's the the gold standard we should all be shooting for 
like it doesn't end when they buy, you know, and it doesn't even end when they follow up. It ends when, you know, if you continue to like offer value and, and do good work and they become an advocate for you. I've had a few clients who've done that for me and it's, I mean, it's amazing when the people come in yeah. and they're just sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm here to sign up. <laughs> just tell me what it is you think I need. 